When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, Bills Mafia? Matt Perino here, along with Ryan Talbot, and this is the Buffalo Bills Shout Football Podcast. Welcome into another live episode. We went live on Monday with a little mini cast. We are back with the full show on Wednesday night, and and we're going to get this thing ramped up here. Training camp kind of started yesterday. It feels a little bit unofficial. We'll get this thing going in the next couple weeks, Uh, but I wanted to bring in uh, somebody that, you know, uh, not kissing up to him because he's on the show, but somebody I respect a ton who has covered the bills for over 30 years in multiple roles at uh, the Buffalo news. Mark gone, my friend, welcome to the show. So, so glad to have you. Well, thanks so much for having me. We're excited. Let's get, let's get going. Let's get going. So obviously uh, training camp opened yesterday. The first few days are going to be uh, testing uh, COVID-19 testing as, as players come in uh, and out of the facility, going through the protocols we've already had today. We've learned Mark actually was the first to tweet it. Uh, that uh, Vincent Taylor and Duke Williams have both uh, been placed on the COVID-19 reserve list. Uh, that could mean they have the the illness, or it could mean they, they've come in contact with somebody that has had it already. And, and I guess to start off with here, Mark, just, you know, this process as it plays out here over the next a uh, couple days and the next two weeks. I mean, there's a, there's a real good chance that we're going to see, you know, maybe some prominent players, not only in Buffalo, but across the NFL that land on, on this list. Absolutely. I, by my count, there are 49 right now on the list. Uh, there were 19 today, eight yesterday, 18 on Monday. I think the 18 were all the rookies and guys who reported last week. Um, so now, you know, and then, but then as of last night, the NFLPA's number was 21 people had actually test have the COVID. Right. So that's 49 who either have it or are in, have been in contact. NFLPA said 21. So uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's uncharted territory. Honestly, your guess is as any, you know, your guess is as good as mine. It's, it's going to be a strange uh, year uh, season, just like it's been a strange year for all of us in all of our lives. And we'll see how it goes. Um, you know, I'm guardedly optimistic they're going to get to week one mm-hmm. um, and play week one. And uh, I'm kind of, you know, like everybody, uh, hopeful that it can uh, carry on. I mean, the NBA, granted, they're a different situation. They've been in a bubble, but, uh, um, you know, they've been doing well. The NHL, the English Premier League, you know, pulled it off. Obviously, totally different sport. I get it and all that, but uh, we'll see. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously, one of the toughest challenges that the NFL faces is once this thing makes its way into a locker room, because we haven't actually gotten to the period where these guys are going to really be around each other all the time. They've been practicing. If you if you if you follow uh, Joe Kroom, uh, photographer extraordinaire on social media, you'll notice that even in Buffalo, since the Florida workout and the Virginia workout for the defense, you know, guys have gotten to, to town. They've been working out together over at Cleve Hill. Uh, getting in some work. So they've been around each other. But as we get into, you know, the practices and, the, you know, in the facility, once this thing kind of gets in there, I think that's when the problem can really surface. We've seen it with the Marlins now in baseball. And, you know, the, the craziest thing for me to kind of envision is what this thing is going to look like if, say, a handful of guys get it and it's not really – they're not able to find that out before a Sunday game and this thing just runs rapid – ramp it in in two locker rooms 
Yeah, it's, I mean, you know, you could imagine any scenario. You could imagine uh, uh, the competitive balance really uh, changing, a team getting lucky and uh, playing a team that is playing with uh, 16 practice squad players uh, on a given week. You know, again, uh, it's it's all so speculative. I mean, I think that uh, based on what we're seeing that, until I th- I don't think they're going to have any problem before they start padded practices, you know, because not much of a problem, yeah, um, you know, because uh, they're still going to do a lot of meetings virtually, um, and the locker rooms have all the spacing, everything spaced uh, spaced out, and they got plexiglass everywhere. So, um, you know, but when the offensive line and the defensive line start, you know, getting in close contact, now they're going to wear the, you know, I presume most of the players are going to wear that uh, face guard uh, over the uh, underneath their um, face mask to further kind of protect from having too much, uh, you know, uh, Again, we're just going to be, we'll just have to react week to week as it goes on. Right now, who knows? You know, one thing that you mentioned was the 16-man practice squad. And something that I found interesting is the fact that they're looking into having four protected players this year. Now, details have not emerged on whether those four players have to pass waivers initially, uh, because that could complicate things. I don't think so. Uh, I don't don't, don't either. No, but I don't, but keep going. So in Buffalo's case, could that benefit them when you when you look at a Jake Fromm, someone that you almost thought had to make the 53-man roster, even a, even a kicker like Tyler Bass, who you thought, well, he probably had the edge over a guy like Hauschka. But now if you could have him protected and on that practice squad and don't have to worry about losing him or Fromm, is that something that could work to Buffalo's competitive balance when it make, comes down to making that final roster? Yes. The short answer is yes. We can get into the Hauschka Bass. I, I, I reject your suggestion that Bass has the, has the edge on Hauschka to go in. We can talk about that. But uh, uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think you look at any rookie. Everybody's in the same boat. Uh, I mean, uh, let's presume it's a relatively normal training camp for most teams. Then I would say, absolutely, Fromm could probably get through waivers he's gonna he's gonna have no nobody's playbook you you know what I mean he's had no spring practices barely had any preseason they've got a limited number of practices who's getting all the reps Josh Allen you know I mean Jake Fromm let's face it isn't gonna get near is gonna come out of this on uh, September uh, 6th with a fraction of the reps he would have got under under a normal last season same with all rookies I think rookies are going to be uh, pushed to the background. I think r- most rookies are going to be an afterthought to start the season if it's uh, if we have a normal training camp. Now, you know, now that now now let's say you know you've got a team that loses two quarterbacks or has two quarterbacks on COVID. Now, okay, maybe J- you, you can't get Jake Fromm through. But nobody's going to want to play Jake Fromm in the first three or four weeks of the season, or at all. I mean, or any rookie quarterback. I mean, obviously, you know, Joe Burrow's going to start, but you got to feel for that guy. I mean, he's going to get a fraction of the reps that he would have that any other rookie has ever gotten. 100%. I think that, you know, going into this offseason scenario, you know, we, we could jump ahead a little bit here. I, I want to talk about position battles as we get further, and I put it at the end, but I think the running back situation is an area where a rookie, it's. I think that Zach Moss probably within the fan base, expectations might be highest for him. And so he's coming in here in a situation where he, there, there's some snaps available to him most likely if he's able to win that number two job. But, you know, I'm still kind of on the fence. I I think that they like TJ Yeldon. I know a lot of Bills fans don't agree with me on this, but I think that they like TJ Yeldon. There's a trust factor. Um, And I think that Zach Moss, as you mentioned, as a rookie and without the reps in practice, has a lot of work to do to assume the role that I think a lot of fans are hoping he's going to assume. I agree with everything you said. And I think especially blitz pickup, 
Uh, it's going to hurt Moss. Um, help, this definitely helps Yeldon, this whole crazy um, year we're having. Um, I think under – I like Moss. I, I, I liked Moss before the draft. Uh, I wrote about him, tweeted about him, so it's out there. Um, uh, I see Moss being uh, – under again, if – I see Moss having a big role. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Moss is 225. Singletary's 203. Uh, I, I don't see them pounding Singletary on a lot of short yardage situations. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Moss is going to get Moss is going to be a factor. Um, I think running back is an easier position to to work into the lineup, not counting third downs. Um, uh, I think Moss is going to be a factor. If it was a normal training camp, uh, I, I would think it was going to be a 50-60-40 split Singletary Moss. Um, and I think next year, down the road, Moss is going to play a lot. Moss is going to be a 40-45% guy mm-hmm. to Singletary's 60-55, um, in my opinion. Uh, now, this year, how is it going to work? Eh, it's a little iffy, but I, I don't see them... Uh, running Singletary and his 203 pounds into the ground. Mm-hmm. We are going to get into all types of uh, training camp battle, chatter, uh, what this thing's going to look like over the next few uh, weeks and, and going into the season. But before we go any further, I want to talk a little bit about you. Uh, maybe some anybody watching that's not familiar, you've been at the Buffalo News now for 37 years. Am I correct? Sure. I'm not trying to age you. Yeah, yeah. But okay. there's a lot of wisdom. And, and one of the cool things about, um, you know, just – the whole year round, but something that I've been missing is just being able to chat with some of my peers, you know, whether it be in the media room in the hallways, as we're waiting to get into practice out at practice. And we've had some really great conversations in my two years being back here. Um, and, and so tell people a little bit about, you know, where you've kind of gone, you've covered college for a little while, uh, but kind of how your career has kind of gone here. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm incredibly lucky. I was born and raised in Buffalo. So, uh, you know, and Buffalo is the kind of place where if you have a decent job, the quality of life here is great. You can't beat it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm like, right. We, we've never been, we don't get into traffic jams. If you've got an eight hour a day job, you work eight hour and 40 minutes, 20 minutes to work and 20 minutes home. It's not 11 hour, you know? So, uh, you know, I'm a big Buffalo booster and, uh, so I've been at the Buffalo News my all but one year of my career, 30 since 1984, and uh, I've covered the Bills. Started covering the Bills some in '88, uh, and have been on them, uh, traveling with them. Started traveling to road games in '92, um, and I've been on them, you know, straight through. I took a three-year hiatus in '15, '16, and '17 to cover college sports to kind of uh, recharge, refresh. I still covered Bill's games those three years, but not anything else. Um, and now uh, uh, now I'm back. I do since uh, 18, 19, uh, uh, I've been on Bill's full-time every, almost every, every day of the year. Um, I might do five days of the year, something else. Um, and I, I, I do, during the season, I focus a little more on uh, analytics uh, and use kind of uh, numbers as a jumping off point to illustrate trends and where the team is going and the league. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you haven't caught it, uh, I, I would say that the Buffalo News subscription fee is worth it just for Mark's um, you know, film work and, and, and an- analytics. It's, it's great stuff over there, always keeping everybody informed. Now, you 12 years you spent uh, as a Pro Football Hall of Fame voting member, am I correct? Correct. And it, Explain a little bit the situation this year because we got, you know, no Hall of Fame game now. That everything going on around the Hall of Fame is a little bit weird with with coronavirus. Right. Well, um, you know, I mean, it's a, it was uh, this was the hundredth anniversary year, so they expanded uh, the class, mm-hmm. uh, which was a somewhat controversial move, but it was a way to kind of uh, uh, lessen the backlog of older players. Um, so it was a giant class uh, this year, uh, and now they are, there won't be any ceremony, and then they'll still have a vote in, uh, they'll still have a meeting and a vote at the Super Bowl or whenever the Super Bowl would be uh, in early February. 
uh, for another class. So they're going to have to have uh, a couple weeks. They're going to have to do a two or three week uh, celebration uh, in the summer of 2021 uh, to uh, enshrine all these guys who uh, have gotten in. Awesome. All right. Let us move on to football because that's what we got you here for. Uh, if you're just joining us now on our Facebook page and our YouTube page, we're able to simulcast now. We're so excited to get hit uh, both audiences. This is the Shell Football Podcast Live Edition Wednesday night. I'm Matt Perino. He's Ryan Talbot. He is Mark Gaughan from the Buffalo News. And we got our first kind of big piece of news yesterday with Starla Tulele uh, becoming the first Buffalo Bills player to opt out uh, of the 2020 season. And we can get into – uh, maybe why he made this decision, why we think he made this decision, why a lot of players are making this decision. John Feliciano sent out a, t- a tweet yesterday that I thought was pretty uh, appropriate. But I, I wanted to get your first thoughts here. You know, this was a defensive line that, you know, added some depth after losing a couple pieces and was poised to be one of the strengths of this team. Where do you see things starting off here now without Star Latoule in the situation for this D-line? Well, it's a big loss. He's a starting player for a reason, because uh, they trust him to be a starting player. If you had to take a starting player out of a position group, D-line would be the position group. Um, you know, I mean, I was thinking going in, if everybody's healthy, uh, they keep nine guys, typically, and they have ten proven guys. And that doesn't count Vincent Taylor. Mm-hmm. Um so some there was going to be a problem uh, if everybody stayed healthy. Um, uh, so they still have a it's still a very deep group um, and a good group. Uh, I think the, there's no question. I mean, Star is the starter for a reason. They trust him. He knows the system, and uh, he is an underrated space eater. Um, he played 49 percent of the snaps last year. Um, and I would env- was going to envision him playing 45-ish, 40 to 45-ish this year. Uh, so now without him, uh, their run defense was, you know, they, they were good at getting teams into third down. Uh, they were 10th against the run, 18th in yards per attempt against the run last year. But the run defense was good. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, now they've, I think, you know, it's, it's, um, um, Vernon Butler, who uh, they signed from Carolina, who, again, knows the system, super talented, former number one draft choice. It's him and Harrison Phillips. Harrison Phillips, as we all know, started off the season great uh, the first couple of games last year, tore up his knee. Is he going to be to start the season where he was last year to start the season? I kind of think probably not. Mm. I think Vernon Butler is going to have to step. They're counting on Vernon Butler to step up in a big way, and he is a super talented guy, and we'll see. Um, But, I mean, obviously he does not have the credentials as a um, uh, run-plugging one-technique defensive tackle over the nose, over the, the shaded over the shoulder of the center. He does not have as good a track record as Star. Um, He's probably as talented as Star, though. Right. I wanted to ask you about specifically how they're going to approach this because if you go back to last season, just you take the Bills. First of all, Vernon Butler, he started off his career backing up Star Latulale in Carolina, which you know is good from a one-technique perspective. He's played it for a few years. If you go back to the Bills last year, they had Jordan Phillips in that starting three-tech role. But if you go back and watch a lot of the tape, when he's not in that three-tech role, when Star's not on the field, they had Jordan almost fill in in that one tech spot. And I feel like that's where Vernon Butler kind of was going to fit. He was kind of more of that multifaceted player, can play one, can play three, can rush the passer. Now, I almost think you're asking, you're gonna, unless Harrison Phillips is 100%, you're going to ask Vernon Butler to be that 49, 50% one tech guy. Is that possible? Is that is that where he's going to excel? Because he had six sacks last season. I, that is a really good question. Uh, and, you know, it's sort of like two-part question. One is we're talking about the base, who, where they really needed star or where he's really uh, a, a huge asset is base defense or first down, mm-hmm. regular sit down and distance situations. Third down, so, I mean, uh, Jordan Phillips, granted, he did play sub in on regular down, on first and ten, 
for star two, but then he got saw his other one techniques uh, snaps in sub in sub packages for star because star doesn't play a lot of third downs anyway. So what they really need is you know twenty thirty percent of those star snaps on first downs are against uh, two back or two tight end sets. Who's playing that one te- technique at a high level? Mm-hmm. And that's the key. That's that's the key, and it's going to be have to be a combination of Butler, Phillips, and now if Phillips, let's say they go through practices and Phillips doesn't feel like he's totally a hundred percent, that's where Vincent Taylor. Maybe they decide they got to keep a fifth defensive tackle. You really wouldn't want to do that normally, but maybe they decide they have to do that, and Vincent Taylor gets snaps at, who who just put, landed on the COVID list. Right. Um, but uh, Vincent Taylor, you could envision, you know, eh, if Harrison, if they feel he's not totally 100% on September 13th, maybe they got to keep Vincent Taylor and have a three-person mix at that one technique to start the season. Should the Bills consider looking into free agency for a run stopper? Uh, there's a guy like Damon Harrison available. Now I see you're shaking your head. No, but he, he is that guy that over the course of his career, though, has been great at that specific uh, part of the of the game in terms of stopping the run. And no, they got they're already too deep. Uh, my opinion is that no, they're already too. They already got a numbers problem still. So in other words, you're talking about defensive ends, uh, Hughes, Murphy, Addison. Epinesa, Daryl Johnson. That's five. And you'd really like to keep those five, in my in my opinion. I don't see them cutting Trent Murphy. Um, so that's five. And you don't, I don't think you want to give up on Daryl Johnson. So that's five. Normally you keep nine. So it's Oliver, Butler, Quinton Jefferson, Harrison Phillips. They're locks. That's nine. Vincent Taylor would be the 10th, you know. So, uh, you know, I, I mean, I think if Phillips is reasonably healthy, they should be fine uh, between Butler and Phillips and maybe Vernon T- uh, Vincent Taylor. You know, Buffalo so far has only been hit with the Latula news. One team within the division, though, that has been hit pretty significantly is the New England Patriots. So they, they already lost two of their starting linebacks in free agency, and, and now they lose Hightower. They lose a key member of their secondary, uh, secondary in Patrick Chung and even an offensive lineman starter in Marcus Cannon. At this point, and maybe, maybe you already viewed the Bills as the favorite in the division, but at this point, should the Bills be the favorite after all of these losses now that the Patriots have gone through and, and thinking that maybe there'll still be a few more added onto that list? Yes, Okay, short and sweet. I like it. I like it. <laughs> I mean, that's a load of losses. That's huge, huge losses uh, uh, for New England. Absolutely. I mean, now does that is Bill Belichick going to fall apart with that team? I, no, nobody thinks that. But <clears throat> I mean, their defense was already taking a hit. Losing Van Noy was a huge, was a big loss for them. They lost to Landon Roberts, right? Uh, a key role player now. I mean, they can replace him and, you know, they'll pull, they'll piece it together. I mean, but they're going to have to try to win games 17-14 and their defense isn't what it was last year. Now, um, the rookie, um, the rookie safety who they drafted uh, uh, in the second round, he's going to have to start and play for Chung, but Chung is so reliable that's the again asking a rookie to step into that defense and be assignment of sound it's really tough i, I um uh, they got problems they have problems it's a great point they got problems on both sides of the ball i think they didn't add and then you look, yeah and you look at their depth check out their depth on the offensive line check out their depth chart mm-hmm. and their starting five on the o-line is good right well it was good and the now mix. they took the hit yeah. tackle <laughs> Right. Uh, now, if they get a couple injuries, their their depth is, is shaky um, on offense. Their depth on offense is really shaky. 
and we mentioned it um, earlier when we were talking about COVID. They're going to start yeah, there's a little bit of a back back thing there. Starting off, you know, we're talking about Cam Newton in his role as quarterback now. He's going to get about a month and a half to get up to speed for the Patriots, and then boom, in September, start playing games. And so, what is your expectations for what? this offense for the Patriots is going to look like without Tom Brady? Or is it anybody's guess, I guess? Uh, I think, I think they're going to run their offense. I think uh, uh, that Newton, if you look, see what he did last year, he kind of wasn't the deep downfield, all play action, deep downfield thrower. He was more, of a distributor from the pocket and was doing pretty well. Granted, he had McCaffrey. Um, uh, I think, uh, and and you know, they do have some experience running this offense with running the, a Jacoby Brissett offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Cam Newton can do the things that they did with Joby, Jacoby Brissett only better. Um, but, uh, you know, their passing game, Edelman, uh, Mohamed Sanu, Nikhil Harry, um, yeah, I mean, that's uh, Matt LaCroix, Lacoste as a tight end. Uh, and then they got two rookies at tight end. I mean, James White is going to catch a, a ton of passes. Uh, James White's going to be like a receiver for them. So, you know, the one thing about the Patriots is they won't ask Newton to do what he can't do. And if things are going wrong, um, they'll adjust. And they'll get the most out of their talent. But their talent, come on. Uh, it, it's there. It, it's not a top four talent in the AFC. Not a top five uh, talent. Mm-hmm. Back, to Back to the Bills here, and I want to talk a little bit about, about um, the position uh, battles. battles. And I apologize if you guys are getting this reverberation that I'm getting in my headphones. But uh, we always have, seem to have one of these little technical issues each show. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the position battles, and there's two specifically, and then we'll talk about maybe any other ones that we're anticipating for camp. One, I think it, the marquee position battle that I think that, you know, everybody has a, an opinion on right now, it seems, but I don't think anybody is convinced wholeheartedly who is going to be cornerback number two opposite Tredavious White. The Bills brought in Josh Norman this offseason. We've talked quite a bit about Josh Norman on the show over the last couple months, and he's going to go up against Levi Wallace. Obviously, EJ Gaines is still uh, in the mix here. He started for the Bills in 2017. Can't stay healthy. Uh, so he's kind of uh, maybe a dark horse, but he'll he'll be somebody that, you know, gets into camp, knows the system. Where yeah. do you, you know, just starting off here, you know, is it Levi's job to lose like it was last year? Or do you feel like Josh Norman comes in here and takes those first team reps pretty early? I think it's Levi's job to lose, but it's tenuous. Obviously, they replaced Levi. Levi started losing snaps to Kevin Johnson last year. Um, but he still held on. He still got more of the snaps mm-hmm. um, than he was hurt for the playoff game in Houston. Um, so, because he had got hurt in the in the regular season finale against the Jets. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I think it's going to be a tough... I think you're going to see roster shakeups weeks three, four, five, six, mm-hmm. league-wide. Just because... You can't tell. I mean, practice, I mean, granted, the coaches can tell things from practice. And, yes, they can put uh, Norman, you know, uh, line up Norman and Levi across from Stephon Diggs and see who does better. I mean, they'll be able to tell if Josh Norman has fallen off the cliff or if he hasn't. Um, But, um, you know, it's not practice is not game situation. And I, I don't think I think it's going to be a job share among those guys. I don't expect nor I think Norm that they'll look reasonable. Um, there's no preseason games. I think it's going to be a job share to start the season and then see who earns it by week three, four, five, six. And I think that's the way teams are going to approach it across the league um, with a lot of even evenish uh, jobs and it's going to be a work in progress rookies aren't going to get a lot of snaps at a lot like somebody like gabe davis i don't see him getting barring injury many snaps they'll work him in if he's starting to look good in practice they'll work him in a little bit you know a month into the season i think that's the way it's going to go with most rookies 
on most teams. Um, so uh, the answer, uh, the long-winded answer is, I see a job share the first three or four weeks between Levi and Norman. So I'm going to go with Gaines real quick, if he can stay healthy. And that's a huge if. Right. Based on what we saw out of 2017, based on the fact that the Bills brought him back last year and he didn't play, and they brought him back again this year, they, they clearly at least like the guy. They want to see yeah. what they can get out of him. If he is healthy, at least, you know, from what we saw of those games in 2017, how much noise can he make in the competition? Well, he's got he's got a big leg up and then he can play the slot and outside. So, um, you know, I see him being valuable if he's healthy. If he makes through uh, healthy, I see him being valuable because he'd be a good backup to Teron Johnson. Um, you know, Gaines is faster than Levi or Josh Norman. Uh, in, in fact, uh, Josh Norman's speed has never been Josh Norman. He was a four-six-two guy or something um, coming into the league. Four-six-six. Levi was four-six-two, something like that. Um, and EJ Gaines is a four-five-one guy, but he's not as long, um, not as heavy, not as long. Levi's got long. Levi and Norman have long, really long arms for the position, which the Bills really like. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I'm just going to say it's, I think it's going to be a job share between Levi and, and Norman for the opener that Gaines is going to be there as a valuable depth. And, you know, and even if without COVID cornerbacks go down, you need depth you can look at any key bill season and they've needed guys to uh, fill in corners go down with, you know, calf tweaks and, uh, and, and the slightly turned ankles. And you're going to, you're going to, you're going to need to be um, six deep at corner uh, somewhere along the way. Uh, another intriguing battle on this roster is at the kicker position, Stephen Hauschka versus Tyler Bass. What does Tyler Bass have to do in this very short training camp to prove that he's the man for the job? I think he needs to have a near-perfect field goal kicking performance in practice. He needs to be unbelievably sensational. Uh, we might not even see it. We probably we won't see it all uh, because a lot of times they take the kickers into the stadium. Um that it would take, I think it would take a uh, crazy, ridiculous, or or a, a slumping performance in in practice by Hauschka um, for Bass. Otherwise, I see Hauschka uh, doing it. I see them being they they don't want to take gambles with that position. I don't think. Uh, now, I mean, obviously they did draft him for a reason, uh, but you know, you look at what some of the other things they've done on special teams. They went out and got uh, from Pittsburgh, uh, Matikiewicz, mm-hmm. uh, who's a special teamer, you know. Um, and they went out and got Taiwan Jones. I think those both those guys are going to make the team because they want their special teams to be rock solid. And I don't see them rolling the dice with a rookie kicker to start the season. Uh, Hauschka did have uh, struggles in midseason, but down the stretch, granted, after he missed one, I think uh, uh, my memory might be failing. In the first half, he missed one in Dallas. Yeah, the first kick. Extra point or a field goal. The field goal and an extra point. Right. But then from the second half in Dallas, now again, uh, your people will be laughing right now. From the second half in Dallas on, he didn't miss. Right. He was super solid and he made a. True grit, 47-yarder at the buzzer in regulation in Houston to send it into overtime, which should have been a winning kick. Mm-hmm. I mean, because they should have won it in overtime because there was eight different plays, which we don't need to go into, that they, where they should have won that game. Right. Um, uh, so that was a just a, you know, Iceman kick. That was a great kick. Uh, at the end of regulation in Houston. Um, so I see Hauschka being the man. I see, it's a perfect year to use Bass on your practice squad and have him kick off, uh, you know, for touchback, activate him maybe if you are got a healthy week 
activate him to the 55 for as the one of the two guys, the other guys an offensive lineman, to go from 53 to 55, let him kick touchbacks. Um, I think that's what's going to happen. And to your point, you can almost use you know that expanded practice squad to house him and then you know protect him. And then to your point earlier, if three four weeks go by and you're like, okay. We, 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 what we feared is true, and Hauschka isn't the guy going forward. You can make the change then, which I think a lot of teams, like you said, are going to look very different come midseason than they do starting off. I like Hauschka. He is going to be fine. Fine. <laughs> we go to sleep tonight. Don't even think about it. And he's only 35, too. I think people forget about that. Like, he's not. I, I mean, he's have long, uh, long longevity. Uh, so, I, yeah, I just think he's going to be fine. And I don't see them taking chances. I, I see them wanting to be protective, safe, you know, uh, on special teams. Is there a position battle? Is there any potential for a position battle on the offensive line in your eyes? I think that they signed Daryl Williams to try to push somewhere, but I just, I keep going over and over it again in my mind. And I just don't see where he's really going to put himself in a position, especially in this scenario to win a job. I think we're walking in week one with the same five, they, they walked off the field in Houston with. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, you're talking practice. It's like, it's going to be hard for a veteran to fall on his face. when They're not even pra- having padded practices till August 17th. Right. Um, or 18th. Uh, um, I, I just don't see it. I, I, again, if you, for the Bills or any team, if you think you've got some shaky problems about uh, problem positions, it's going to sort itself out. Whereas normally some of those would have gotten sorted out before September 13th. Now more things are going to get sorted out week three, week four, week five. So um, yeah, uh, it's going to be the same five to start the season barring injury. Anywhere else on the roster roster where you're really interested to see how things play out. I know that there's some potential for some battles at uh, depth linebacker and depth receiver. Um, Where do you feel like there's real potential for maybe a wild card or a sleeper to emerge as somebody that makes this 53-man roster? Well, uh, keeping in mind that it's my, I mean, uh, you know, that it's our job to be interested in all, (laughs) every battle. Uh, uh, yeah, there's a lot of interesting battles. The the receiver, uh, you know, uh, and and again, I think all of these battles down. I mean, obviously the Bills. This is the for the starting lineup. This is the most set starting lineup the Bills have had in forever. Okay, uh, even without Star, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, it, it's crazy. But uh, your you know your uh, two bad uh, COVID te- days of testing away from shuffling the deck so i think it's it's all important uh you know the the the, the 40 the the 43rd to the 55th spots on the team are going to be extremely important um i believe because it's going to be a crazy year um so receiver uh you know uh you've got four locks five locks uh there's three starters roberts and gabriel davis the fourth round pick mm-hmm. they're locks uh, so who's making it as the sixth receiver? Duke Williams, Isaiah McKenzie, Robert Foster, Isaiah Hodgins. That's uh, that's wide wide open. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's six no matter what. Is there a scenario where they think so. seven? I, I, th- I think so. On the or if you know if they got a lot of injury problems, it could even be five and mm-hmm. throw other people. They could go with five, but I think it's six. Uh, um, tight end is interesting, you know. I mean, everybody's sort of expecting Dawson Knox to take the next step, and again, this is one of those let's sort it out week two, three, four. Uh, but it's huge for Dawson Knox, uh, Tyler Croft, uh, Lee Smith, Tommy Sweeney. <laughs> can they afford to keep Lee Smith on the roster again? Um, can they afford to keep both Lee Smith and Patrick DeMarco? Um, We'll see. I mean, I think DeMarco is safe, but uh, uh, but Lee Smith is. Do the Do you really need four tight ends if Sweeney is healthy and ready to be the number three tight end? Um, I'm interested to just to watch the rotations on defensive line. Mm-hmm. They got so many ways to mix and match. I'll be really interested to see that. I think it's going to be 
um, Murphy spelled by Epinesa at left defensive end. I think Addison is going to see most of his work at right defensive end. But uh, because that's where he played, both he and Jer- uh, Jerry played like 90 plus percent at right defensive end. Right. So Jerry's going to be able to stay healthier. But I see them, uh, you know, I, I think it's uh, it's it's Murphy and Epinesa at left defensive end in the base defense. Um, I don't know if uh, Brandon misspoke, uh, but I was going back and reading some of his transcript from after the draft. And he said that he thinks that Mario at times two can push inside. Uh, which I thought was interesting because you're right. He's played Mario predominantly yeah. at defensive end. But to your point, I mean, you're talking about if Mario can go inside, Jefferson plays edge and tackle and Epinesa, which I'm still – I want to see what Epinesa can do against interior NFL offensive linemen, especially early on before I'm convinced they can use him there consistently. I think they definitely can use him there part to uh, limited. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I mean – but the, the the issue is edge. They got loads. They got they got a million guys who can rush from defensive tackle. Mm-hmm. It's the edge, uh, the the impact edge position that they need. So I mean, yeah, Addison can play a rush inside, and they, and they're great about um, uh, manufacturing five man rushes mm-hmm. uh, by moving guys around and having you know Oliver twist and be come from the edge, uh, but. No, I, I see Ad, Addison. They need him on the edge, uh, so they, they, they got enough. Uh, you know, Jefferson. I think be, will can rush from outside or inside, um, but I see Addison being. Be uh, you know, on when it's a tie game in the fourth quarter, uh, and everybody's fresh, you're you're you probably want Jerry and Addison rushing from the edge, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. Um, uh, so back up uh, or linebacker. Houston or Houston version of Trent Murphy splashed in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that one went over my head. What do you mean by that? He, oh, he showed up. Yeah, he showed exactly. up. He was yeah. pretty consistent. Yes. Okay. Uh, backup linebacker. I mean, uh, that's probably the most questionable depth spot on the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're set with, you know, the, uh, with Milano and Edmonds. But if one of those guys goes down with a high ankle sprain for four weeks, what happens? Well, for in Edmonds' case, it seems to be that they, they must have some belief in Tyler Medikevich, who I don't know where I was listening. It might have been a podcast or I might have been reading a story. He's a guy that obviously was the middle linebacker, the backup middle linebacker in Pittsburgh, never really got a chance to play and thinks he'd be a little bit more effective than people give him credit for in that role. Now, you're like we saw – I think it was in 2018, Edmonds goes down. You're not replacing what he brings from an athleticism perspective and just an understanding of running that side of the ball. So you're right. To your point, if you leave either of those guys, especially Edmonds, it's going to be bad news. Right. And then, uh, so I'm interested to watch practice and see how, like, two young guys, Voshan Joseph (laughs) and uh, the other, the safety from uh, Jaquan Johnson. I want to see how, will they take a step up in year two? Uh, Johnson had a pretty good uh, regular season finale against the Jets last year. Yeah. Um, so, but I mean, really in a perfect world, uh, you know, they're, they're not playing. They're not getting any playing time. Cool. All right. So we've gone 40 minutes without talking about Josh Allen or this offense really, other than the receivers. And I think that's a good place to, to really head out of this episode with a end this episode with a bang. So, you know, there's been so much discussion. I mean, he was on, we had a, a whole show on him the other day after he was voted number 87 in the NFL's top 100 list. Um, kind of irrelevant. I just, I just want to talk about, you know, what are your expectations for Josh and where you think he can grow with now the addition of Diggs? you're three in this offense. And do you expect, or is this even needed for the training wheels to be taken off a little bit? you know, from, from a Brian Dable perspective and just, you know, maybe even a Sean McDermott perspective. Cause I still think the identity of this offense at times really seems to me to have that Sean McDermott fingerprint on it. Uh, you, uh, that's very, uh, uh, perceptive point. I agree with that too. Um, they had, uh, let's see the defense in 2018 had the worst starting field position in the NFL. 
even though they were they were number two or three overall in 2018, uh, or um, but they had the worst starting position. Uh, and you know Sean McDermott didn't like that. Now uh, turnovers were a big reason, uh, obviously. So last year it got way better. They were top five or something. Um, and that's because Josh Allen didn't turn the ball over. And when you also look at some of their run rates, running the ball um, on uh, early downs, uh, running the ball with the lead, they had like one of the highest percentage of running the ball with the lead. Uh, that says to me, training wheels on Josh. You know, they're being safe. And you, they're being smart. They're playing to the strength of their defense. Obviously, if you're playing Denver and they're starting a rookie quarterback in his first road start of his life mm -hmm. and you've got a seven-point lead and you've got the number two defense in the league and you're saying, you know, Sean McDermott's saying they can, we can play till Tuesday and they're not going to score on us, okay? <laughs> so, yeah, you're going to have training wheels on, right? Because you're playing smart situational football. This year tougher schedule, they're going to have to open up in some of those situations. I don't think they're going to be able to play as safe. You know, you think of some of those games in Pittsburgh. I mean, granted, they wanted to pull the horns in because of those two monster edge rushers. Now, that was a huge, the huge factor. But again, Leslie Flazier saying, Duck Hodges, we could play till, you know, Tuesday. He's not scoring on us. Right. We're not worried. I mean, uh, unless we really, you know, hand them the ball on our end of the field. So um, that has a huge factor on how you call plays. And that's I, I totally agree with your, the premise of your question. Uh, this year, I think they're going to have to open it up a little more out of necessity because they're going to have, you know, they're going to be playing Jimmy Garoppolo or Ben Roethlisberger and not Dutch Duck Hodges mm -hmm. in some of these games. Um so what again? This is a long-winded way of going back to Josh Allen. You know, it's it's a, a, we can be talk about this every day from now, and we will. Uh, you know, I, I don't think uh, the floor is high is is has gotten higher for Josh. In other words, with the offense around him, it's going to be hard for him to collapse, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he's going to get a little better his numbers. The question is. Can he take full advantage? And I think the number one thing everybody wants to see is better deep accuracy. Mm -hmm. And if he can do that, now everything will will start working better because now, okay, you know, like, like last year, okay, Belichick, you're defending the Bills. Okay, what are you going to do? Let's put a safety over the top of John Brown, keep him from going deep. And, uh, you know, yeah, Cole Beasley's going to catch some little underneath throws, but like tell, force Josh Allen to say, where are you going with the ball? Okay, you want to throw it at rookie Dawson Knox? Fine. Good luck. Go, go ahead. See if you can beat us that way. This year, um, you know, if they want to, you, you, you've got two threats on the outside with Diggs and John Brown. So it's not as easy. And if they teams want to play uh, too deep, Hey, the running game and the underneath passes should be there. Uh, if they want to play more man coverage, like they did, like New England did, great. Got one of the best man beaters in the league in Stephon Diggs. Um, so that all should be uh, should be helpful. If if Josh Allen completes is is thirty second in the league in throwing twenty plus yards downfield, like he was last year. That's a problem. So it'll be interesting to see his mechanics when the real games start. And if they hit a few deep passes the first three or four weeks, you know, that's that's that should be gold for this offense. Have you um, have you watched a bunch of digs since the deal? Like, have you gone back and watched some? Oh, yeah, some. Yeah, I mean, four or five games. Yep. So one of my big um, – something I wasn't really in tune with before I went back and watched them, I was so impressed – watching a couple of his games last year, the year before, at how physical of a player he is. And I think that that's one area that was missing with John Brown last year. As great as he was, he wasn't going to fight for any of that yak yardage. He wasn't a real threat after he caught the football to break one. I feel like at times I noticed that 
Stefan Diggs almost seeks out contact. He offers a different flavor of number one and, and allows John to be that elite number two, which I've always believed is where his true fit is. You go back to his Larry right. Fitzgerald year. I mean, he, he, he ate in that offense. So now does that fit in with what Josh where, where he's good. Cause you saw that, that intermediate area where he got much more proficient last year. Do you think that that's an area where Stefan Diggs is going to really add another dimension? Or do you think it's going to be in that deep ball where he finally can, you know, get past defenses and maybe Josh can beat him beat down the field? No, I mean, uh, I, I, I totally agree with what you said. He plays a lot bigger. He's not a huge guy, but he plays big. Uh, he's got really strong hands. Uh, He's got a good catch radius. He plays big. Uh, he gets quick early separation. I think uh, Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott deserve a tremendous amount of credit for adjusting last year after the 2018 season. Mm-hmm. And Beasley and and John Brown, uh, this is something Mark Kelso used to talk about all the time, uh, get separation early in the down so that a young quarterback sees it early and knows, is confident that's where I'm going, which helps his accuracy. Um, and even, you know, like I think thinking even a play in the Houston game <laughs> where uh, it was just like a, a 12-yard hitch. And this, the cornerback for Houston was so far back. Uh, and, you know, John Brown, great route runner, doesn't give up, uh, you know, sells the route, stops. I mean, the, the when he caught the ball, there was still like a nine-yard cushion. Um, so that helps uh, that uh, switch in getting Brown and Beasley. Was, quick separation, guys, was a brilliant move um, uh, by Bean and his staff uh, and McDermott. And, and now with, uh, I think, Diggs, he's another guy who is, can get separation early in the down, and Josh can be confident that he can pull the trigger. Um, and uh, uh, so, I mean, I, it's not just going to help. Uh, it's going to help underneath and deep. And uh, I think the Bills are going to be harder to lock up in man coverage. Now, you know, granted, if they're going to play like Baltimore's defense, played man, blitzed the heck out of it. I mean, they're a tough defense to face. You know, I mean, it's going to be a tough game. Uh, they don't, Bills don't play Baltimore in the regular season. But, uh, you know, the, the Patriots, too. Uh, they got great defensive backs. Um, it's going to be, uh, you know, that's, those are going to be tough games. But I, I think Diggs helps at every level. Awesome stuff. All right, guys, we are. Uh, this was an awesome show. Great way to get us started here as uh, we tiptoe our way into this very unusual training camp. Um, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Why don't you let everybody know where they can find you, your work, and, and what you guys got going on over at the Buffalo News? Yeah, well, we're uh, at buffalonews.com, uh, and I'm on Twitter at uh, ggone, going, going, gone, G-G-G-A-U-G-H-A-N. Beautiful, beautiful. He is Ryan Talbot. Uh, send us out of here with something, Ryan. I always close the show, but I feel like we need a little bit more Ryan Talbot in our lives. Oh, put me on the spot. Oh, All right. Yeah. Well, thanks again, everyone, for following. Uh, if you haven't already, head to uh, all the major podcast sites, leave a review, let us know your thoughts. Thanks for following us as always. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. And we'll see you next week. We got another very special guest, uh, somebody that Mark is very familiar with, Mr. Joe Biscalia from The Athletic. Well, join okay. us next Wednesday. Uh, we'll have another killer show. Mark, thanks so much, and everybody have yeah. a great night. Can't wait to see you out at the someday, one of these days soon in Orchard Park, hopefully. Yep, fingers crossed. Take okay. care, everybody. All right.